again, like last week, I think it is of importance for us to speak a little bit about the relevance of such a passage as the passage that we have before us today. The Apostle Paul says to, to the church in Corinth that those things that have happened in the Old Testament of this passage, for instance, that we've just read, he says that they were written down for our admonition. Later on in his life, Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Spirit to the church in Rome, he said that for whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. So the text that we have before us today in 1 Samuel 5, in some way, was written and is relevant to us that we may have comfort, that we may have hope, that we may know something of God's work in those days and see something of God's work in our own day. And you might say, how is a passage like this so geographically distant from us, written, or that took place in, in the Middle East, so chronologically distant from us, written 3,000 years ago? How is it that this brings any relevance to our lives today? Well, I think there is quite a bit of relevance. And I, I believe I'm not alone. In thinking this, the Dr. Lloyd-Jones, in the 50s, he preached in, a, in, a, in an international congress, conference of Reformed uh, Christians, and he specifically looked at 1 Samuel 4 and 5 in that sermon, and he said the following... Surely it is nothing but an account of religion in a state of declension. Speaking of 1 Samuel 4 and 5. It is God, he said, and God's cause, apparently completely routed and almost as it were destroyed by the great traditional enemy. The enemy is triumphant all along the line and is rejoicing. That is the picture presented to us in 1 Samuel 4 and 5. Isn't that the picture that we see in the West, in, in, in Europe, in Great Britain, in, here in London? Isn't that the picture that we see in our lives as we look around at the state of the church and as we look around at the state of weakness and apparently defeat that we've been put through? Apparently the church is routing, is on the defense in the battle of our generation If anyone doubts this, turn on your TV, look at the news, look at the ads, look at how the, the, the society is going. It seems like the Philistines of today are winning. Seems like God has been defeated. Seems like there is no genuine Christian influence anymore. You see, there is a sense where the Philistines are winning today. There is a sense where 
an unbelieving army in our own day is victorious. Today it's not by sword, but it's the, the influence of secularism, relativism. Christianity as, is seen as always was, but is seen as foolishness. Not only foolishness, but today, uh, if you go and speak to the leading minds of our, uh, of our culture and of our generation, Christianity is not only foolishness, it is downright dangerous to society. At least the true form of Christianity, the biblical form of Christianity. It is dangerous to the public. Look at some of the books that have been bestsellers in the recent past. Christopher Hitchens, God is Not Great. And the subtitle is How Religion Poisons Everything. Or Richard Dawkins, God Delu the God Delusion. In our society, it seems like we've been defeated. Lloyd-Jones, again, quoted, uh, I'm quoting him, said, On the surface, we might very well come to the conclusion that the modern Philistines have been as successful as their ancient prototypes. Indeed, our contemporaries believe that the modern Philistine really has demolished the church and the Christian cause. The secularization of the whole of life seems to be almost complete. And I remind you, this was written 70 years ago. Had Dr. Lloyd-Jones lived in, the, in our day, he would have so much more to say. In his day, Christianity still exerted, although just on the outside, some kind of moral force in society. But today... That seems like that battle is over. Secular society is, by and large, godless, hedonistic. Even the basic building blocks of our society are being threatened and are under ferocious assault. So, it seems like the Philistines have won. Very much like in 1 Samuel 4 where the, where the Israelites were defeated in battle and the ark was captured. And now we see in chapter 5 what happens. Seems like religion is done. Is defeated in our society. And very much like the Philistines. It's not so much that in some circles they're trying to take God away from the picture. Eradicate the idea of God. There are some that would rather see the society without a God. But in other circles, in our modern day society, very much like the Philistines, they just want to domesticate the idea of God. When the Philistines, we read in verse 1, captured the ark, took the ark of God, and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod, the Philistines took the ark, brought it into the house of Dagon, Dagon and set it by Dagon. They put, a, put, a, put the ark of the Lord in the presence of their own God. And you, this might seem strange to you. It struck you as strange. Because part of me thinks they should have just burned it. They should have just destroyed it. They should have just done away with it. 
I'll tell you why they didn't do it. And it's very much like in our modern day, because they were syncretists. Syncretism was going on there. They, they, they didn't believe that their God was the only God. Their God was the greater God for them. Their God was one of, uh, was their, uh, the, the main God. But they believed in all kinds of gods. They, they were very welcoming. They were very uh, inclusive in their religion. They believed in multiple gods. Dagon was the big one. But then we can use God of Israel as well. Just bring him along. Put him right uh, beside Dagon. And and let us just, don't destroy it. Let us just accommodate it. Let us uh, garner some of its power for our good. That's what syncretism always does. And that's what we see in our society. I know you've probably uh, apparently backtracked on this, but many, many years ago, uh, now King Charles, he said it, didn't he? That he didn't want to, when he became king, to be known as the defender of the faith. That's very exclusive. That he wanted to be known as defender of faiths or defender of the faiths. That's syncretism. And it's syncretism of the worst kind. And we see this in all kinds of areas of life. The Philistine world today, allow me to call it that, the, uh, the world that is en- at enmity with God today, as the Philistines were, in many ways is not seeking to eradicate God, it's seeking to domesticate him. It's seeking to, to, to take something of, uh, of what they can and is good uh, for, for their purposes and, and use it. When a non-Christian wants to get married in a church, an unbeliever doesn't believe in God, but I still want the church marriage. When, uh, when, uh, when uh, in public affairs people swear by God, in politic, in the political realm, they don't believe in God, but they, they want to lend or to use something of the sanctity of God to 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 sanctify public life, to sanctify their government. Think about it. Syncretism is all around us. And the pressures are big on us as Christians, brothers and sisters, to cave in. I'm sure you've had conversations with friends, with family members, with co-workers that goes along the lines of, why are you Christians so exclusive? Why, are, are you, why do you have to say that your God is the only God? Why can't you be nice like the, the, the Hindus? Oh, why can't you be nice like the, the Baha'i? Or why can't you be nice even like the Muslims? Muslims are, are really good at syncretism as well. All it takes is for you to have a, a, an evangelistic conversation with one of them and, they'll, and mention Jesus and they'll go, Oh, we like Jesus as well. We're, we're, we like Jesus as well. Syncretism, just bring it on and, and, and make a, a, a salad out of our everything. Why are you so exclusive? Why? Why do you believe uh, that your God is the only God? Do you really believe that? That might be the question. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that on the last day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord? 
Do you believe that? So you see, there is relevance in this passage. More than we first meet the eye. So what does chapter 5 say to us? What does this chapter say to us about how does God handle these things? How does God handle the Philistines in Samuel's day? What does chapter 5 have to say about this? What can God do about the Philistines? The enemies, not only of God's people, but of himself as well. Well, we read in verse 3, don't we? And when the people of Ashdod arose early in the morning, there was Dagon fallen on his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and set it in its high place again. How does God deal with Philistines in Samuel's day? He humbles them. He humbles their gods. He humbles their presumptions. They they, 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 They put him there. Perhaps in the afternoon, evening of day one, they closed the the temple's door. They went all to their beds and they thought, okay, next morning we'll all come here. We'll have a a worship service today and and we'll show you this this box that that we brought from the battlefield with the Israelites. And during the night, something happened. Something terrifying happened that no one foresaw, that no one did or that no one uh, no human did when in the morning they rose and they went into the temple they realized oops something happened this is what happens wherever god is a, is is not exalted wherever idols are put in the place of god wherever false gods are put before before one's eyes this is what happens Again, I, I know I'm quoting quite a bit of Lloyd-Jones, but I think it is a brilliant sermon. He compared the humbling of Dagon to the early decades of the 20th century. He said that the 19th century ended with arrogance. You know the history of, of Europe in, that, in those days, the golden age of humanism. They thought they, that they had everything figured out by the end of the 19th century, that, that they have... Uh, transcended the, the mistakes of the past, that now through reason and, and education that poverty and war would be done away with. And in the, the first decades of the 20th century, they were humbled. The First World War and many other things happened before that. There was a humbling there. But what did they do? Just like the, the, the Philistines in Ashdod, they set it up again. Instead of learning and repenting of their sins, like, like the Ashdodites here, instead of, instead of learning from what was happening, they, they set it up again. And what happens throughout the 20th century? Wars, diseases, the Nazis, communism, the millions upon millions killed, the threat of the Cold War, of nuclear suicide, that is still very much present today, by the way. It's, a, it's all over the news. 
What will happen if, uh, if Article 5 of the NATO Convention is, is, is triggered? What will happen in our society? That's, that's what we see. But all throughout, God is casting the multiple idols of this postmodern society. Dagon falls, but the lessons of the Bible are the same. The lessons of history tell us to do what the Ashdodites did not do, to repent, to learn from what is happening, to, to learn that what happens in the night when morning comes is a call for our repentance. But God did not only humble and slay the idols that were set up against him, he also judged the people who worshipped and served them. The Ashdodites were the first Tumors, six, verse 6 and 7, tumors fell upon them. The hand of the, of the Lord was heavy, and we looked at this word heavy last week. It's the same word for glory, and, and I told you that this word comes up again and again in this narrative. Uh, as, and the, the hand of the glory of God was heavy on the people of Ashdod, and he ravaged them and struck them with tumors. The hand of the Lord was heavy against them. The hands of Dagon were, were cut off, but the hand of the Lord was heavy upon them. There is some commentators that believe this to be the bubonic plague, the, the black death, because of the, the, the mention here of, 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 of the rats, and the pestilence uh, was there. The, the Ashdodites correctly realized that this was caused by, by the ark of God being there. So they ask, they, they convene a meeting of the five great cities of Philistine, and they say, well, let's, let's take it away. Take it somewhere else. We don't want it here. Maybe if we change location, we, things will be better. So they agree. They move it. They move it to Gath. And what do we see in Gath, verse 9? So it was after they carried it away that the hand of the Lord was against the city with a very great destruction. And he struck the men of the city, both small and great, and tumors broke out on them. What do they decide to do? Repent. That would be the, the correct answer. No. Let's do it again. Let's send it to Ekron. But the Ekronites, they cried out. They understood. Well, they're trying to kill us. We heard what happened in, in Ashdod. We heard what happened in Gath. Don't bring it here. Take it somewhere else. They immediately rebelled. They cried out. In verse 11 and 12, we read that the men who did not die were stricken with tumors and the cry of the city went up to heaven. And we'll look uh, in, in chapter 6 what happens uh, next. But this episode, this very simple episode, devastating, is a reminder. It is an, a, a horrible t thing to fall in the hands of a living God, of the living God. It is a warning that God's judgment is upon idolatry. And now think about today. Brothers and sisters, we are not to lose heart or to be, or to be uh, shocked when we look at our society when, and we see things crumbling. 
It's the same thing today. Everything that has happened in the 20th century, everything that is happening in the 21st century, in the same way points to God's judgment upon a rebellious mankind. Especially in the West. Especially in our society. Society that's filled with relativism. Society that good is now evil and evil is good and, 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 and that turns things upside down. God needs to turn things the right side up. And how does God do that? Throughout history? Read First Samuel 5. This is not isolated. In many ways, although we don't desire that in our society, although we don't desire to see the uh, civilization in the West crumbling, can we expect something else? All these difficulties, all these circumstances, all these, these pandemics and all of these things are meant to be a warning call to a society telling this, this, the, uh, a God-forsaking uh, uh, society that they are to repent, that they are to turn like the Ninevites, like the, like, uh, that they are to turn to before the final destruction comes. And yet, we persist. Or in the, and yet, it persists. Like the Ashdodites. They find that that Dagon's statue has been toppled. And they set it up again. Hoping that this time will be different. See, brothers and sisters, we're not defeated. Well... There is a sense where Christians can be defeated. Yes. And that is the message to Israel here and to the church in this passage. The point that, that perhaps we need to consider is, why is it that we are defeated in this world, in our world? You see, when you read this passage, you realize that Israel was defeated, not because Dagon was the, the stronger God, not because Dagon was stronger than, than Jehovah. You, when you read this passage, you realize that, that, that Israel was defeated, not because the enemy was so strong and the, and the soldiers were so tall and they were so powerful. Rather, you realize that Israel was defeated because of their own weakness. Because of their own powerlessness. They were defeated because they had been estranged from God. And we often think to ourselves, why is Christianity waning in our society today? And we make all kinds of excuses. Well, the opposition is just so strong. Well, the, 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 the people are just so, so strong-minded. Or uh, we cannot hope for people who are drunk and, and with all kinds of these sexual pleasures to be interested in, 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 in the church and coming to a service. We, we cannot expect this to happen. We cannot expect people today to, to have the attention span of a, of, a, of a goldfish in a bowl to, to be able to listen to a sermon of 40 minutes. It's too much for them. 
And we make all kinds of excuses. And it seems to me that Israel was making all kinds of excuses in their own way as well. Oh, the Christianity doesn't have the appeal in our culture today. It never has. It never had. It was always foolishness. It was always a stumbling block. But some have concluded that because of this, what we need to do is make the church look a little bit more like Philistine. And then we'll have people come in. And then we'll, our, our pews will be full. And then we'll, have war, uh, we'll, we'll see some victory. The Philistines have better technology. The Philistines have better entertainment. The Philistines have better organization. They are bigger. They are stronger. That's why we were defeated, the Israelites said. We say today. But is that the case? I think what we need to learn from this is that the defeat was not because of the strength of the enemy. The defeat was because of the weakness of, the, of our own selves, of, of the Israelites, and perhaps of our own selves. You know, because it is not what this passage shows us. It is not our job to, to topple the idols of this society. It is not our job to, to go out and, 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 and topple the idols of this society. That's God's job. We are told that we are to stand against the schemes of the devil. We, as we are told that, in a sense, there is an offensive uh, waging of war in our part, on our part, that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. It seems to me that the church is in the, on the offensive. But it's not on the offensive uh, against Satan in a, in a worldly way. Our offensive against Satan is standing firm and steadfast with God. I'm not saying that we are not to speak against lies and against the sins of society in general. But our mission is not to wage worldly warfare against God's enemies, try to get as many Christians in, in Parliament as possible to change the laws in Parliament. That's how we're going to defeat them, as they uh, fighting in their, on their own terms. No, we are to remember the Lord. We are to trust in Him. We are to live for Him and he will defeat Ashdod. And he will defeat Dagon. You see, Israel's problem, as we've looked in the last few weeks, Israel's problem was, was, not, was not that they didn't have the, the, the resources or, or, or anything like that. Israel's problem was the problem of sin. Eli's sons were desperately wicked. Eli's uh, um, priesthood was tainted with sin and corruption. Their worship was false. Their relationship with God, with God was non-existent. They were estranged from God. And when they were defeated in battle, they thought, well, let's bring the lucky, good luck charm and, and this will all be better. Let's, let's coerce God into, into, into giving us the victory. And as I said, God is not persuaded by the arrogance of man. Never was, never will be. Israel's problem in, in, in the days of Samuel was that he, there, was, there was sin that needed to be dealt with. And the same is true today in churches and in personal lives. It is true congregationally and it is true individually. Sin is the problem. 
that the answer is to come back to God, to remember God, to turn to God for his power. To turn from sinful attitudes, to live holy lives. God said it and, and it, he saved us so that we might walk in holy lives. He, Ephesians 2.10, we were saved. Let me read it to you. God who is rich in mercy, verse 4, because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Created, saved for good works. To put away sin. Or as Paul says, do not consider, do, you also must not consider yourself, or you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Or one John, we are told, aren't we? How is the the how is the church to to defeat the world? How is we are not to defeat the world? We are to trust Him who is greater than this world. Greater is is Him than who is in the world. Now I said this is to give us encouragement. This is to give us hope. So let me come in a full circle and, and, and show us where we, we can find hope in this passage. The people of God were defeated because they were powerless. Because they lacked the power and presence of God. And I know I'm stating the obvious, but sometimes the obvious needs to be stated. Why were they defeated? Because God was not there. So they were powerless. They were defeated by the Philistines, not because the Philistines were strong, but because they were weak. The answer for us today, brothers and sisters, is not to call for the ark, to bring something of, of our past that, 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 that brought mercy uh, that brought blessing upon the church and i love church history no one probably no one here loves more church history and puritanism and and those times of blessings in the church as i do you might love as much as me but probably not as more than me let me say it like this but that's not the answer we could go back to the way that the Puritans worship. We could go back to having the, the, all the kinds of traditions and every kind of thing that, that, uh, and dress up like them and all of that. And that's not the source of power. That's not where power comes from. Their problem began, the Israelites, the problem began when they start to think, we don't have to do what's right. 
As long as we do this, we're fine. We don't have to obey everything. We don't have to do everything. As long as we have this with us, we're fine. As long as we have reverent worship, traditional hymnology, as long as we have exclusive psalmody, as long as we have this, as long as we have that, we're fine. But nothing could be further from the truth. And they were defeated. You know, because the only refuge that exists from this terrible God is the refuge in God himself. It is the refuge that is found in him. And make no mistake, I'm, he is a terrible God to fall upon his hands. And the only refuge that exists is the refuge that is there in him. This passage he proves to be a terrible God to those who are idolaters, to those who are in sin, to those who think uh, too arrogantly that they can control him. Just like the Israelites. They thought they could control him by bringing the ark of the Lord of Israel to the, to the battlefield. And now the, the, the Ashdodites, the Philistines, think, think they can control God by bringing it into their pantheon, to their temple. He is not controlled. And throughout history we see this. How many times, how many societies after the, ri the rise of Christianity, after the first century, have tried to destroy Christianity. And sometimes for a season have, have prevailed. During the night they seem, it seemed to all be going well for them. The French Revolution. They thought... We're going to produce a, a, a society of fraternity, of fraternity. What, what it produced was a society of tyranny. The German humanism. Oh, we're going to produce a society uh, uh, where man and reason is on top of, uh, of everything. And this is going to put away with wars and poverty. They produced Nazism. atheistic communism well we're going to create a society here without God then we, we're, going to, we're going to create a, 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 work, a workman's paradise and everything is going to be fine what did it come about from that slavery that's what they were no breads in the, in the stores and I'm not making political statements I'm not making, saying that Capitalism is better than communism. It's not that. But whenever a society, even in capitalism, yes, let's talk about atheistic capitalism. Technology will save us. Technology and, 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 and finance and prosperity will save us. Look at society now crumbling. All it takes is a, is a, a financial crash. Uh, the stock market to go down for everything just to come crumble down in ruins. All it takes is a war to break out in a distant country and pr gas prices to go up and everything seems up for grabs again. You see, the solution is not capitalism, communism. The solution is not humanism. The solution is God. Without God, there is nothing to look forward to. Only destruction. 
whether in this life or final destruction in a life to come. Because all of these things are meant to be warnings that it is a horrible thing to fall in the hands of the living God. But God reveals himself as a saving God as well. In this passage, the Philistines might well have reflected and had they repented, had they turned to God, God would have spared them. The message of God, that God delivered to those Philistines that day is the same message today. It's the same message for us. What will you do? Will you carry on defying God? Will you carry on being arrogant, thinking that you can control him, then you can get away with it? Let me tell you, it's fleeting triumph. It might last for, the, for, for a few years, it might last for a few decades, but there will come a time that morning comes. Like it came for those Ashdodites, they get into the temple and they realize, oh, that's a problem. And morning will come for you as well. God is working through the night. But you will have a shocking surprise as morning comes. When God will ask you, why did you defy my word? Why did you ignore my word? Why did you deny my presence and existence? Why did you live as you lived? Will you say the truth? Will you have the, 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 the courage to say the truth to God? Because I wanted to. That's why you're living like you're living. Because you want to. Because you, you think you can get away with it. You think that when all comes to, to pass and everything is said and done, nothing will come out of it. In Revelation, there is a... a uh, a salutary warning. There are those in the last day that will wish upon the mountains to fall upon them. For mountains falling upon you is better than falling in the hands of the, of the angry God. It is a terrible thing to fall in the hands of an angry, ter uh, living God. But a refuge can be found in him. There was no indication of what was happening during the night. But there, is, there was something happening. And this casts my mind. At least as I read through this passage. I, I think the parallels are too, too loud to be ignored. Cast my mind to Jerusalem. Good Friday. The, the greatest of all arrogances happening on that day. Mankind doing away with God. Killing the Son of God. He saved others. Let him save himself. He cannot. They thought that as they buried them, as they took him down from that cross, put him on that, on that tomb, they thought it was over. That Jesus' name would fade away. That no one would remember Jesus for the, for the, in the next ten years. It, it was a fad. That now they were good. But a morning came. Morning came on that, on, that, on that Sunday, on that first day of the week. And all those that trust in him, 
All those that trust in him can have life and will have life. In the morning, the evidence was there. What happened during the night? In the morning, the evidence was there that God was not defeated. That actually God was using the defeat, this seeming defeat to portray his greatest of victory. See what a morning, glorious and bright, at the dawning of hope in Jerusalem. I'm probably getting the lyrics wrong. But he had been nailed to the cross. You might have thought glory has departed. Ichabod finally finished. But it was on that cross that he disarmed the powers and the, and the rulers and the authorities of this age. He put them to open shame by triumphing over them by the cross. Same thing was happening here. You see, history tends to repeat itself time and time again. The defeat was the victory of God. The ark was captured, yes, but that, by the ark being captured, Dagon was toppled, was defeated. The Philistines were terrified, and at the end, God was glorified in all of it. That's the history of this world. 